Well, my name is Scott. I'm one of the uh, pastors here at First Baptist, and it's a a pleasure to be able to share God's word with you today. And so um, you're probably wondering, what on earth is he doing? Um, Let me just start with coffee today. There are people out there that love, love, love their coffee. Just by a show of hands, how many of you love your coffee? Woo, there's a lot of you. Okay, what about this one? What about this one? How many of you here today are, are the kind of person that you wake up in the morning and you're that don't talk to me, don't look at me until I get my cup of coffee in my hand? How many of you are that person here? It's a lot of the same people, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, up here, I have all of the things necessary to make a good cup of coffee. I have your standard uh, coffee brewer For the people that are more of the coffee aficionados, I have the French press. You can't make coffee without your grinder. And of course, you have to have your filter to be able to use it. And you can't have coffee without beans. And of course, you have to have your cream and your sugar and your spoon and the world's greatest mug. (laughs) Boo. Boo. There's one of you in every room. (laughs) Well, I am one of those people that does not have to have coffee every morning. Um, Every once in a while for me, I just love a good cup of coffee. Now, when you start to talk about coffee, people um, have their different preferences. Some people are like, you know what? Give me a cup of coffee as dark as night. I want it black. I want it thick and I'm going to drink it. There's some of you. There's others of you that you have to have that cream and you literally have to pour and pour and pour and pour some more and add about eight packages of sugar and stir it up, right? Um, There's others of you that you don't like the normal coffee that comes out of here, but you like the fancy stuff, like that, that cappuccino or a macchiato or even a mocha. How many of you are like that? Yep. You are all who keep Starbucks in business, right? Yeah. Well, this morning I have a a hot caramel macchiato. Mmm. It is really good. In fact, I'm going for a second. Mmm. That is good. I'm going to come back to this coffee thing. It will make more sense in a little bit. But talking about good coffee makes me think about what other things do we like in our life that are good? Just by a show of hands, how many of you want a good life? Good life, yep, yeah. Most people could agree that whether you're Christian, non-Christian, doesn't matter, that you want to have a good life. For me, I also want to have good health. In fact, you see this picture up here. One day I want to grow old. If Jesus doesn't come beforehand, I want to grow old and be a grandparent. In fact, I want to be that grandparent that wears socks up to my knees that don't match, that... (laughs) When my kids, when my grandkids show up and they go nuts and I'm pulling out dollar bills and bribing them and giving them all kinds of candy and sending them back home like my parents do with my kids today. So I want to have good health. Another thing that that I want to have is I want to have a good marriage. My wife and I have been married for 11 and a half years and, and every day we find new things that we love about each other and some things that we don't like about each other. <laughs> but... We still want to have a good marriage. And, and I still want to be that man that God has intended me to be, to lead her and guide her in the ways of the Lord. You know what else I want? I want to have a good relationship with my kids. 
I have four beautiful children, and for me, there is nothing better than to drive into the garage, get out of my car, open up the door, and hear the kids literally drop whatever they're doing, and yell, Daddy's home! And come running up and give me a big, giant hug. It just makes me melt. Know what else that I want? I want a good meal. How many of you want a good meal? Yeah. For me, you know what sounds really good is a big, juicy, thick steak and baked potato, maybe a little vegetables on the side. (laughs) It just sounds so good. And for me, it makes me hungry because it's almost lunchtime based on the old time schedule. Know what else that I want that is good? I want to cheer for a good team, a championship team, baby. All I can say is don't let the Giants fan on staff preach the week the Giants are in the World Series. (laughs) See, when you think about this, I want a good marriage. I want good health. I want to cheer for a good team. I want a good life. And it's interesting that when you're in a group this big, most people are like, yeah, that's what I want too. And there's always one or two people that say, no, I want to suffer. I'd say this, if that's you, that's you, that's not me. That's not something that I want. In fact, if you want to suffer, I would tell you maybe you should cheer for that team. (laughs) If anybody is hiring tomorrow, please call me because I'm going to be fired by Brad. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) You know what? In all seriousness, suffering is a part of life. But it doesn't have to be the focus of your life. See, outside of the church world, people view God in a whole different light than what we believe or we view our God. Because do you actually believe that our God wants you to have a good life? Do you believe that he has a plan and a purpose for your life that is actually good and not bad? See, outside of the church world, oftentimes people view God as this cosmic killjoy that he's sitting there in heaven and he's just waiting, waiting for people to make mistakes, to trip up so they can make them suffer. But you know what? As I read scripture, that's not what I see. In fact, in the Old Testament, the Bible says that the Lord is my shepherd. In the New Testament, Jesus says that we can call God our father. See, God is a good God. God is a good God that wants good things for his children. Do you truly believe that our God wants good things for you in your life? See, but based on some of the storms that you are facing today, at times it can be easy to be skeptical of that thought. Skeptical that God is actually working good in your life and in my life. The Apostle Paul writes, In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. The Apostle Paul says that we can know, not that we think, not that we hope, but he says that we can know that in all things, not in some things, not just every once in a while, but in all things, that word all is so important here. We can know that God works for the good, for the good of those who love him and have been called 
according to his purpose. See, God really is working for our good today. See, this whole series that we're in the middle of, of Stormwatch, is how do we navigate through the storms of life? And today I specifically want to talk about how do we navigate or how do we handle and look at this idea that God has good for us when our life doesn't really feel that good. So some of you might be sitting here thinking, you know what, Scott, that sounds great. Yeah, God has good for me, but I'm kind of skeptical of it. I'm not sure based on what's going on in my life. And you know what? I want to give you permission today to be skeptical, to be skeptical of everything that God's word says, because here's what I believe. I believe that our God has something very specific in store for you today if you're skeptical, that our God wants to speak directly into your life and into your heart with his word. And here's the thing. See, it's real easy to say that we believe that our God is a healing God until we need him to heal us. It's real easy for us to sit there and say, thank you, God, for being our provider until we actually have to rely upon him to provide for us. It's really easy for us to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me until I need to do some things through the strength in which he can only give Today, I want to give you one point. Normally, we do multiple points and all that. My point is very simple, and it's one that I believe will speak into your life. Let me tell you this right away. If you are an English teacher today, I'm sorry I did learn proper grammar, okay? But here's the point. If it ain't good, God ain't done. If it ain't good, God ain't done. This last week in our community groups, we studied Philippians chapter 2. And in verse 13 of that same chapter, uh, the Apostle Paul wrote a great statement. And he says, For it is God who works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is working in you through whatever storm you are facing to carry out his will for your life. See, maybe the storm that you're facing today in your life is not good. Maybe the situation that you find yourself in, you would say that it is not good. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your health. Maybe relationally you're having some issues where you would say that it's not good. Well, I'm here to tell you that if it ain't good, our God ain't done yet. There's a great story in scripture. If you have your Bibles, do me a favor and turn with me to John chapter 11. And if you've been in the church world anytime, um, this story could come across as a bit familiar to you. And so what I want to challenge you today is to push through familiarity and look at it anew. And I pray that as a result of whatever storms you're facing or circumstances in your life, that this story today will have a whole new meaning to you. Verse 1. Now a certain man was ill. Lazarus was his name. And so Lazarus was sick. He was real, real sick. We're not talking like, I got a little sniffle and a cough, hand me a Kleenex kind of sick. No, Lazarus was ICU kind of sick. Have you ever visited anyone in ICU? They put the people that are really, really sick in ICU. That's the kind of sickness that we're talking about here that Lazarus was dealing with. ICU kind of sick. It says that he was from Bethany. 
It's a really important detail here that we could easily skip over. Remember this nugget. For some reason, John wanted us to know where Lazarus was from. And it's an interesting thing because you don't often introduce yourself as, Hi, I'm Scott. I'm from Denver. Or, Hey, I'm Joe from Stockton. But for some reason, John wanted us to know that Lazarus was from Bethany. And as you study scripture and as you chew on God's word, remember that every piece of information that is in here is important. That's why God spoke it into being. So store that thought that Lazarus was from Bethany back here. We'll come back to it in a bit. It also says that um, he was from the village of Mary and Martha. Evidently, those two women were so popular that they had their own village named after them. (laughs) It's kind of funny. Um, This Mary, whose brother Lazarus lay sick at this point in the text, is the same Mary that we read about in John chapter 12, who took perfume and, and poured it upon our Lord Jesus. So the sisters, they send word to Jesus that the one that you love is sick. In other words, they had a problem and they cried out to Jesus. But yet, for some reason, for us as Christians in 2014, when we have a problem, we don't always cry out to Jesus right away. Instead, we take our problem and we put it upon our shoulders and we start to think and we start to process and we start to connive and we start to think, how can I handle this problem on my own? And when our own strength and our own ways don't work out, only then do we finally cry out to Jesus and say, help, I need you now. But yet, Mary and Martha, in their time of need, cried out to the only person that they knew could help. And that was Jesus. Verse 4. When Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. I love that the NIV version says that this sickness will not end in death. Isn't that great news? Imagine for a second that you're the messenger that was sent by Mary and Martha. And you come up to Jesus and you say, Jesus, Lazarus is sick. And he looks at you and he says, this will not end in death. And if you're the messenger, like, man, I feel so much better. That is great news. Verse five. It says that Jesus loved Martha and her sister in Lazarus. And I find this to be interesting. It's so huge that John would include that little detail with what's about to happen in the text. See, it's interesting for us as we make this personal that it's really easy for us to say that we love God and that God loves us when everything is going well. See, it's so easy for us to be able to praise God and say, hey, thank you, God, for the raise. But for some reason, we doubt God when we're fired. It's so easy to see God's love on wedding day, but it's so hard to see his love on divorce day. See, there are times when it's easy to believe that God loves us, and those are the times when things are going oh so good. But it's hard to say that God loves us when it feels as if everything in our life is falling apart. That is why our point today is so important. If it ain't good, God ain't done. Verse 6 goes against everything that you would expect Jesus to do. It says, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer. That doesn't make sense. 
I mean, why wouldn't Jesus drop everything and go see him? I mean, Lazarus is sick. Mary and Martha sent word to the only people they knew that could help. And yet Jesus did nothing at all. Let me illustrate it for you like this. Um, I love to take picture, scripture and make mind pictures in my mind. I'm weird, I guess. Um, but Jesus and his disciples in my mind picture were sitting there and they're about ready to eat. And just, just as Jesus was about to take that cheeseburger and take a bite. I know Jesus didn't eat cheeseburgers, but let me tell you this. If they had in and out in Jesus' day, he would have loved a double-double. I'm just saying so, okay? <laughs> would have loved it. Work with me. So here's the thing. So in my mind picture... I see Jesus and his disciples sitting there and they're about to eat. And all of a sudden a guy comes from out off to the side and and he interrupts him and he's in a panic. Jesus, Lazarus is sick. And Jesus puts down the cheeseburger and he says, yeah, the sickness will not end in death. And I picture to the disciples that are sitting there going, yeah, awesome. Start packing up their cheeseburgers and their fries and getting ready to go. They're going to go and see Lazarus. And Jesus looks over at Peter and he says, hey, Peter, can you pass me some ketchup? And the disciples look at him and they're dumbfounded. Like, what's going on? Jesus, didn't you just hear what he said? Lazarus is sick and he needs you now. But Jesus just stays there calmly eating his cheeseburger. And the disciples ask him, so Jesus, are we going to go and see him after you're done eating? And Jesus says, no. I don't think so. And the disciples, they're not understanding what's going on. And they're saying, but Jesus, Lazarus is sick. And he says, I know. It won't end in death. But Jesus, he needs you right now. And Jesus says, no, no. We'll go when the time is right. And the Bible says that Jesus stayed there for two more days. So now all of us that are here today, we have different things that get on our nerves. For me, one of the things that gets on my nerves is bad drivers. Nothing is worse in my eyes than when I'm already speeding in the fast lane and this car comes behind me and is riding my tail. I'm already speeding. It's irritating. Okay, thanks for being my confession. Let's move on in our sermon today. (laughs) You know what's something else that just gets on my nerves is being late. I hate being late. It doesn't mean that it doesn't happen. It just means that it infuriates me when I'm late. So, hands, how many of you hate being late? See, those of you that are still kind of getting your hands up, you're the ones that are always late, huh? <laughs> sorry, sorry. Think about this as we get back to our text. Jesus finally decides that he's going to go and see Lazarus. And the Bible says that on, in verse 17, that as on, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Now that is late. He didn't even make it for Lazarus's funeral. This would be like if somebody invited you for Christmas dinner and you showed up on New Year's Eve and you said, Merry Christmas! Jesus was that kind of late when he rolled into town. Let me back up a little bit. The Bible says that Lazarus lived in what city again? Bethany. Bethany, yeah. Um, That's huge because Bethany was settled by a group of half Jewish, half Egyptian people about a hundred years before Jesus was around. 
And so they had Jewish religious traditions and religious customs. But the society also had um, a lifestyle that would have been more like a Roman, Greco, Egyptian style. And so in the society, in Bethany, when somebody would die, on the day that they died, they would have drained all of the blood from the body. Then they would have removed the heart, the tongue, the eyes, and the brain, and embalmed the body. And what they would have done is they would have taken the organs that they removed and put them in separate canisters. And the tombs of the day really had two layers in them. In the first layer, they would put that heart, the tongue, the eyes, and the brain in the first part. And then in the second part of the tomb, they would put the body. And it's safe to say that if you've had your heart, your tongue, your eyes, and your brain, all of your blood removed from your body, that you're dead. Right? It's safe to say. And so... When Jesus shows up to this town, there's no hope for Lazarus. It's over for him. So what about you? Are you sitting here today lacking hope? You've heard that God is good, but you're having a hard time believing it because of what's going on in your life. That you've looked at the shambles around you and if you were honest with yourself and maybe honest with others, you'd have to say that I'm hopeless. You know what? When you lack hope, that's where anxiety starts to take over. And that's when our life seems to go even further away from God. That's the situation that Jesus walks into four days late, a hopeless situation. And as we look at the text, there are some interesting exchanges that go on here. First, Martha goes up to Jesus and she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. It's this sort of underlining jab at Jesus. If you would have came when we called you, then he wouldn't have been dead. And Jesus responds by saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe that he can live again? And Martha says, yeah, I believe that Jesus, but not now. He doesn't have a heart. He doesn't have a brain. He doesn't have any blood. He's dead, Jesus. Then Mary speaks up because it's her turn. And she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have had to die. And Jesus gets to the burial site. And he says the shortest verse in the entire Bible. John chapter 11, verse 35. Jesus wept. If you're one of those people that has a hard time memorizing scripture, start right there. Here's what I would say about this verse that I find that is so profound. Is when we see that Jesus wept, it shows the humanity of our Savior. It shows that Jesus had that same despair, that same sadness that comes out of when he lost somebody that he cared so deeply about. Just as you or I would have when somebody that we care deeply about passes away as well. Listen to what Jesus says next. Pick up in verse 38 of chapter 11. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And listen to what Jesus says. He says, take away the stone. And if you're one of Jesus's disciples that were there in that moment, this is where you thought Jesus has absolutely lost his mind. First of all, if Jesus would have came when Mary and Martha first sent for him, this wouldn't have been an issue at all. But Jesus 
had the audacity to say, take away that stone. The people who were there that day, they must have thought, who does he think he is? And Martha says, but Lord. I love that she says, but Lord. Have you ever had that conversation with God? Where God says, go and do this. And you say, but Lord. I guess I'm the only one that ever has that one, right? I don't think so. She says, but Lord, the Martha's sister of the dead man says, by this time there is a bad odor for he has been there four days. The King James version of this says, but he stinketh. I just love how that says it. (laughs) Mary says, by this time there's a bad odor. He's been there four days. Once again, another little jab at Jesus. What she was saying is he's been there for four days and he might not have been there, Jesus, if you would have heard. And if you would have came when we called for you to come, then he wouldn't have died and we wouldn't have to worry about opening this tomb and he wouldn't be dead and it wouldn't stink if only you would have answered the when we called for you, Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Were Mary and Martha in the midst of a storm? Absolutely. Do you think in this moment of the story, that they were overwhelmed. Yeah, I'm sure that they were. Look at verse 40. Jesus says, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Did I not tell you that this will not end in death? In other words, if it ain't good, God ain't done. Did I not tell you that you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Let me make it personal for you for just a second. With whatever storm you're going through, if you believe God, you will see the glory of God in your situations, in your storms, and in your life. See, but sometimes when you're in the midst of that stress, when you're in the midst of the storm, the hardest part is believing It's taking God at his word in a hopeless situation. God, I don't know if I can trust you right now. I don't know if I can believe you. I mean, God, I want to trust you. I want to believe you. But God, Lazarus is dead. He's in his tomb. His organs are gone. They're in jars. He doesn't have any blood in his body. I don't know if I can believe you right now. And yet Jesus says to those that were gathered that day, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Verse 41 says, so they took away the stone. Who took away the stone? The Bible says they took away the stone. I think the they that they are talking about there are the people that decided to take Jesus at his word. They are the people who are like, you know what? He says to take away that stone. And once I was with Jesus and we were at this little party and they ran out of wine and Jesus turned water into 180 gallons of wine. So I'm going to take him at his word. They are the people that once were with Jesus on a countryside and and the people got hungry and he took some bread and some fish from a little boy and he fed 5,000 men. So they're saying, I'm going to take him at his word. They are the people that once were in a boat and they were out, out in the middle of a sea and Jesus walked on the water out to them. And they said, if he can walk on water, he can work in my life. 
They are the people that once saw Jesus touch a man with leprosy and he was healed. They are the people that witnessed Jesus healing a blind man. They are the people that saw and heard Jesus teach and they took him for his word and they took him for what he said he would do. They are the people that in faith say, God, say, Jesus, even though I might not see your hands, I know your heart is good and I am going to hold on to every single promise that you have given. They were the ones that took him at his word and are going to believe that he is good. And watch what happens. Jesus says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Verse 42. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! It's funny, as I was preparing for this message, I came across a real funny thought here. The reason why Jesus said, Lazarus, come out, instead of just come out, is if he would have just said, come out, all of the dead people would have come out. So he had to say, just Lazarus, come out. (laughs) Think about the scene for just a moment. How ridiculous did Jesus look in that moment when he said, Lazarus, come out? See, when we sit here today in 2014, we don't think Jesus looked ridiculous because we know the end of the story. We've read the book of John. Jesus hadn't read the book of John. Lazarus hadn't read the book of John. Those that were in attendance that day had not read the book of John. Do you think Lazarus' situation and his mindset would have been a little different if he had read the book of John? But yet Jesus said, Lazarus, come out of the tomb. Now remember, this is a man who has had his brain, his eyeballs, his tongue, and his heart removed and put in jars. Did anybody that was there that day believe what was going to happen next? No, they were probably sitting there, standing there thinking, are you serious? This guy has lost his mind. And I picture them going, ha, 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 in silence. As verse 44 says, scripture says that the dead man, Lazarus, came out. The dead man came out. Scripture says that his hands and his feet were wrapped in linen and his face was covered in a cloth. And Jesus says one of the most profound statements in all of scripture. Take off the grave clothes And let him go. Translation. If it ain't good. God ain't done. Friend. I don't know what you're facing in your life. Today. From marital issues. To health concerns. To your job. Your finances. Relational problems. There's so many stories. With so many people that are here today. You have so many stories. And so many storms. But I know this. I know that if Jesus could overcome the storm of death in his own life and in the life of Lazarus, don't you think he could work in the storm that you are facing today? Hmm. Let me go back to this coffee here for a moment. Is um, people that love their coffee. Some of them say that coffee tastes so good because of the brewer. 
Some say that it has to be a Keurig or Starbucks brand or you name whatever brand you love. And they say that the only way that coffee tastes good is if you use a good brewer. The coffee aficionados say, no, 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 no. You have to use the French press. It makes it so much stronger and so much better flavor. But others would argue, you know what? It has nothing to do with the brewer. The reason that the coffee tastes so good is the grinder. It's the way that it grinds it up and the thickness of the beans getting down so it's ground up so that the water can go through it. That that's the reason that the coffee tastes so good. Others would say, no, it has to do with the filter that you use. I mean, what else can filter out yummy Stockton water so that it can taste so good? Others would say that it's the beans that makes the coffee taste so good. That it has to do with where it was grown and the altitude and the humidity and the temperature and the right combination of all of those things makes the coffee taste so good. Others would say, no, it's the cream that you put in there or it's the sugar that you put in there. Even others would say, it's the way that you stir the coffee is what makes it taste so good. I'm here to tell you that it's because of all of these things working together is why you have good, good coffee. And it's still good. Here's the thing. A coffee maker by itself is not good. A grinder by itself is not good, nor is a filter or beans or anything else. But it's when all of these things work together is when you get good coffee. So you're probably sitting there wondering, how on earth is he going to connect coffee and Lazarus? Good luck, huh? Was Lazarus getting sick good? No, it wasn't. Was Mary and Martha getting worried and upset? Good. No. Was Lazarus dying good? No, especially for him. Was Jesus showing up days later good? No, I don't think so. Was Jesus talking about being the resurrection and the life good in the eyes of Mary and Martha? No, they didn't think so in that moment. But when all of those things, when all of those situations work together, For the good, a dead man was resurrected from the tomb. Our God takes whatever bad is going on, whatever circumstance you see is not good, and he takes and he turns all of those and brings them together for the good, for his good and his purpose in your life. Friend, that is why I'm here today to tell you that if it ain't good, God ain't done. So what about you? Was getting divorced good? I don't think so. Was that diagnosis that you received recently good? Maybe not. Was feeling abandoned by your father good? No, I don't think so. Were the financial decisions that you made that got you into the storm you're in today good? No, they weren't. Was getting laid off good? No. Was infertility good? No, it's really hard. See, even though your circumstances might not be good today, our God is good. We can trust him because the Bible says that our God is holy and perfect and good. 
which means that he wants for my life good things, which means that our God is working to make us holy and perfect and good in his sight through his son, Jesus Christ. So friend, today, if you feel as if you are barely holding on, I want you to walk away with this thought. If it ain't good, my God's not done. Look, I know that as you came in here today and you heard a message that your circumstances aren't going to change because of what I shared today. But what I do know, I know that your perspective on your circumstances certainly can. Today, you can walk in confidence knowing that in all things, in all storms, God is working for the good, for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purposes. If it ain't good, our God ain't done. In just a moment, the band is going to come up. And the song that they're going to play out of the message is a very purposeful song. The song focuses on the fact that as followers of Christ, when we get overwhelmed by the storms of life, it's not where God wants us to be. He wants us to have an overcomer's mindset. Not overwhelmed, but overcome. And the way that we overcome is not by asking God to change our circumstances, but it's by asking God to change us through our circumstances to realize that no matter how bad things get, no matter how difficult your storm is, he's good and he's working for the good of those who love him. If it ain't good in our lives, if it ain't good in your life, friend, today, you can walk in the confidence of knowing that God ain't done. And he is about to do immeasurably more in and through you if you're willing to believe and trust him. Join me in prayer. Father God, in a group this size, there are so many stories and so many songs storms. And Father, I know that this morning there are people that are here that are absolutely overwhelmed. That God, their lives have been dominated by anxiety, by worry, by fear, by uncertainty. Father, today we pray that we can rest in the fact that you are a holy and perfect and good God. Father, today, as we worship you and the words of this song pour into our hearts, Father, we thank you that, Jesus, you overcame. That, Father, all authority is yours. The authority over our storms, over our circumstances, over our stresses. And, Father, we walk in knowing that the victory is yours. Father, we thank you that we don't have to face these storms on our own. Father, in the name of Jesus today, we need your encouragement. We need your strength. Father, today, will you take our focus off of our storms and may we put it in on you. Father, we thank you that when it ain't good, we know that you aren't done. And we know in the name of Jesus today that you are still working for a purpose that is solely yours. And we know that if we believe that, Father, 
you will get all the glory. We praise and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.